Hey, Pastor Bobby here. I'm so glad you're joining us to hear what God is sharing with our community here at Chapel. And I pray, I am praying right now for you, that this message will bless you. It'll be an inspiration to you. It will challenge you to be who God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. And so as we jump into the message, I pray that you open up your mind to God's word, open up your heart to God's spirit, and watch the two come together to bring a supernatural miracle in your life. So let's jump into what God is speaking to us right now. So a lot of good stuff. Christmas album starts today with that song. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 15, the Christmas album. That song right there is the most wonderful time of the year. Is a very interesting song. So the staff, we've kind of voted on these songs together, and I started digging into the sermon for this one. And this one is really about making Christmas wonderful through family gatherings, through marshmallow toasting, which I don't know many people roast marshmallows at Christmas. And then actually, if you listen to the line, it said, and ghost, scary ghost stories we're telling. Like, I don't know anybody. We've never done that at our house. We wake up on Christmas morning like, hey, let's tell some ghost stories. You know, so I was like, why in the world is that line in this song? That's ignorant. And I started researching it, and up to like the 1940s, that was a common tradition that at Christmas time you would tell ghost stories. That's where the story or the movie The Christmas Carol actually came from. Telling the stories about the ghosts of Christmas past and present and future was a tradition of telling these stories to generate future hope in people. And so Christmas is all these amazing memories of family, of fun, of gifts, of, of journeying. And I was, I was thinking through our family traditions. And years ago, we lived in Nashville. We'd go to Gaylord Opryland Hotel every Christmas with another family. We just walked through all the Christmas lights through there and generating just fun times for our family. And, and food is always a big part of anything in the South. And every other year, we'd go up to, to Cleveland, Ohio with Toya's family for Christmas. One of the first years, all the kids were really young. And I don't know about you, this is going to be a cultural learning experience for you. If you go to a white family's house for Thanksgiving, there's going to be plates, the, the table's going to be set, the food's going to be potted or plated in a correct way. You go to a black family Thanksgiving, it is a buffet. Paper plates, but all the food you can eat. And we went there for Christmas, and it was like this huge buffet. I'm talking about turkey and ham, chicken wings and collard greens and macaroni and cheese. And you get all the way to the end. I mean, it's food galore. You get all the way to the end, and not everybody in Toya's family is saved. There's a wet bar at the end. <laughs> and not only a wet bar. But they had what we call jello shooters. So for those of you that have a pass, the jello, uh, you don't need an explanation, but those of you that don't have a pass, jello shooter is a shot of liquor that's put into jello, then it's refrigerated and turned into jello. So I knew what they were. We get towards the end, the kids are like, jello. I was like, kids, do not touch the jello. And so that's a memory I'll have for the rest of my life. I hope to God my kids tell that story at my funeral. And I hope all of Toya's family is there to hear it. It's, you know, seeing our kids wake up on Christmas morning and waking us up early before the sun rises to see what gifts they have. And, and tell, we tell the Christmas story every single Christmas morning to kind of refocus our kids around the reason for the, the season type thing. And, and Christmas is an amazing chance. It's a wonderful time of the year to bring family back together, to, to, to celebrate generosity and giving and celebrate food and fun and all these amazing things like this song talks about. But what if 
Christmas isn't that wonderful to you. It's very easy to get caught up in the spirit of Christmas and overlook the fact that statistics tell us that 38% of people deal with stress, anxiety, and depression increases at the holidays. And so when you hear that song, it may seem true, but for many people, it actually exposes some of the pain and grief. What if financially it's just a struggle this year and it's not a fun time because you can't do what you want to do for the people you love? Or, or what if you lost a loved one this year, a husband or a wife or a mother or a father, and now there's empty space at the table that there used to be somebody filling that seat? What if your family's a broken family and you don't, the house is empty this year because their kids are at the other people's house or the other parent's house? What if Christmas exposes the pain and grief and all those things that are the opposite of it's the most wonderful time of the year. What if for some people, maybe sitting around you or people at work or maybe people at your job or maybe people at school where when you're excited about Christmas, you're like Elf in the movie Elf where you're just passionate, like happy, 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 but the people around you are sad, 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 sad. How do you overcome those moments to make Christmas the most wonderful time of the year. And I think what that does, it, it exposes to us that many of us, our joy, our peace, our hope is found in external circumstances. And I think Christmas, the whole point of Christmas is to celebrate that hope, peace, and joy are an internal situation and circumstance that comes from the inside out. If you have your Bibles, if you would stand to your feet as we read Romans chapter 15, 13. This is Paul writing a letter to the church in Rome. It's a very powerful letter. It's full of theology. It's full of, of, of practical uh, application. But this scripture, I was telling Pastor Dylan this morning, is a very interesting scripture because it really doesn't fit into the narrative that Paul is trying to accomplish. He's really teaching theology. And in verse 13, it says this. He says, may the God of hope, may the God of hope, look at your neighbor and say, God is a God of hope. Not only is it a God of hope, he is, according to this, the God of hope. Not Buddha, not money, not Muhammad. The God of hope. May he fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The word is actually overflow here, and it says feel. May you overflow with hope, joy, and peace through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying that really the meaning of Christmas is the fact that we couldn't get to heaven, so God brought heaven to us. And the fact that we couldn't get to God, God sent his son to come to us. The fact we couldn't find hope or peace or joy on earth, God sent his son to bring hope, peace, and joy on the inside of us because the Holy Spirit who helps us abound in hope, peace, and joy, is, is not an external person. He's an internal person. He lives on the inside of you and me. And we go through the holidays looking for hope and peace and joy through family belongings or family gatherings, looking for hope and peace and joy through gifts and giving and receiving or through fun or through tradition or through food. You'll never find the hope, peace, and joy you're needing through Christmas traditions. You will only find it internally through the power of the God who's living on the inside of you. And so many of us need an injection of hope and peace and joy during the holiday season. 
You need to be able to experience those things, hope, peace, and joy, but also to share those with the people around you who are hurting, who are depressed, who are anxious, who are stressed, who are worried, or who are afraid, or who are suicidal. Just find an Alabama fan and tell them that God is a God of hope. To take the Nick Saban idols off the mantle, put Jesus back on the throne of the heart, and let hope reign. Father, we love you. And we thank you this morning that we don't have to chase after hope, for you are the God of hope. And that, Father, you've decided to place your throne upon the heart of your people. And right now, Father, we know that all hope, all joy, all peace reside within us. And I pray that during this, this, these next few moments, there's next few season, seasons of just Christmas, that you help us to come to an awareness that you are the God of hope. That, Father, everything we need, you've given us in Jesus Christ. So, Father, we pray for hope for those who are hopeless, those who are broken, those who are stressed, those who are anxious, those who are grieving. We pray for hope to rise up within them. Father, those with, with tension and division within their families, within their own souls, and within their marriages, we pray peace begins to reign in their lives. And Father, those who need joy to be infused into their soul, we pray for joy to reign through their lives. So Father, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for showing us that nothing shall separate us from the love of God. That, Father, not, not heaven and earth, but you come. You draw near to those who need you the most. So we bless you, and we thank you in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Paul is saying that hope, peace, and joy are an inside job. They are an internal job. As people, we are trained to think that hope is based on our circumstances, that if things are going well, then I'm hopeful. But if things aren't going well, maybe I'm hopeless. If things are, are peaceful, I can be at peace, but if things are chaotic, then there's no peace. And Paul here is saying, it's a prayer for the people at Rome saying, may God fill you with hope. May you overflow with hope that it starts to pour into the people around you. May you overflow with peace so just wherever you go, it brings peace to your family, to your friends, to your coworkers. And may you be so full of joy that it begins to impact the people around you. That is his prayer, and that is my prayer for you this holiday season. My prayer is either, one, you can experience these things, or two, you can help other people experience these things exactly the way Paul is saying it here. And here's how you do that. We experience, let me get it right, we experience joy by helping other people experience joy. So you're not going to get joy by, by trying to create experiences for you to get joy yourself. You can't get enough presents, you can't get enough gifts, you can't have enough jello shooters at your Christmas dinner. Like, you can't find enough joy to experience joy yourself. Joy's on the inside of you. And so the only way you can experience more joy is to begin to release joy from your spirit out of you. If, if one of the fruits of the spirit is joy, that means joy is a byproduct of the spirit. So if I release the spirit, I release joy into my circumstances in my life. And so the best way, if you said, you know what, I'm just not very joyful. You know, we can go with the Alabama game. Auburn fans are very joyful. They win one game every 45 years and they think they're the world champions. Alabama fans lose one game every 45 years and now they're all suicidal. If you need joy, 
If you need joy, help somebody else experience joy. Take something out of you and give it to somebody else. That's how you experience joy. The joy of giving helps you experience joy yourself. And so you have to be able to find somebody you can share that with. John Piper said this way. He said, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and the world. And it's a supernatural thing. It's an internal position of your heart that your soul can have joy regardless of your circumstances. The world can be chaotic, but your spirit can have a joy and excitement about it based on how you see life. Do I have a purpose? Do I have something to offer? Do I have value? Do I have something to give? And if you do, take it out of you and give it to somebody else. When you do, something supernatural happens. Like, I can't explain it, but when you serve somebody else, there's a supernatural thing that happens that creates joy in them and joy in you. It's a spiritual law that as I give something away, God replenishes what I just gave out. And so if I'm needing joy, if I start trying to help other people experience joy, all of a sudden God starts letting me experience more joy inside of me. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. The natural is I step out and I give something away. The super is God recreates or restores the joy that I lost maybe last week, last month, 10, 20, 30 years ago. is now restored because I stepped out and helped somebody else experience joy. Like, and it needs to be somebody that can't repay you back. See, as believers, I read a book on 1 Peter, and it was this guy, he was a, he's a missionary in, in some Islamic country, he never says because of the fear of hurting the people that he's talking about. He's in an Islamic country, and he starts talking about the hospitality of some of the people in, in this country. And he said, you know, growing up in the South, you hear all these stories about Southern hospitality. And he tells a story this guy way back during the slave days, a white guy, he was traveling through the south. He was from Philadelphia or Boston. He's traveling through the south. There's this storm that just comes in. And it's flooding, it's lightning, it's thundering, and there's nowhere to stop. And he finally finds this plantation house. And he pulls up, and you know, southern plantation house, good hospitality, all the stuff. He pulls up, knocks on the door. The owner comes down. He says, I just need a place to stay for the night. I can't survive in this storm. He says, sir, we can't help you. And he kicks him out. He, he starts traveling down the road 45 more minutes. It gets worse and worse and worse. He turns around, goes back to the plantation, says, sir, I really need a place just to rest and, and to stop for the night. And the guy says, we can't help you. And he keeps on going. He goes back to the back of the property to the slave quarters. And these slaves who were looked at as less valuable to the plantation owner took in this stranger who had nothing to offer them nothing to help them with. They took him in. And he talked about, he said, I've always heard about this Southern hospitality. He said, maybe the hospitality skipped the plantation owners and went straight to the slaves. And he's making the point of this, that it's easy to be hospitable to somebody who is like you. It's easy to be hospitable and to serve somebody who can serve you back. It's easy to give a gift to somebody who's going to give you another gift in return. It's easy to help somebody who you think will help themselves, but it's very difficult to help and serve somebody who cannot repay you and probably will not repay you. Meaning the homeless person that she said, well, I'd give them some money, but they're probably just going to spend it on alcohol anyway. So? 
If you're trying to experience joy, what does it matter what the step is after you experience your joy? If they can repay you, if you know what they're going to do, you're not helping them. You're hiring them to do what you want them to do. See, we look at serving and helping people as a way of control and manipulation. God looks at it as, as you serve and extend yourself, don't worry about the outcome. I got it. And when you help somebody who cannot repay you, get this, when you serve someone or help somebody who cannot repay you, you know who's going to repay you? God. But if you keep helping people and serving people that you get something in return, you cut off the blessing of God from your life. I'll never forget. Man, I was in Mexico this, years ago. We took a, a team from Cornerstone, and I, I took the, the, the youth team, the, the high school team, I believe. We're in Mexico. We're out in the middle of nowhere in the jungle. And I was supposed to preach, and there had not been any missionary teams to this church in 20, 30 years. And we brought in a team of unruly teenagers. And I'm supposed to preach, and... And so the, the church building is kind of block knee walls and these sticks and this thatch roof. And I remember you could see right outside because there's no walls there kind of deal. And, and I'm the guy on a mission trip that when they tell you, hey, don't eat food from vendors on the street. I'm like, that's a recommendation, but that's where the good food is. I'm going to eat all the stuff they tell me not to eat. And I'm sitting there, I love empanadas. If you don't know what empanada is, empanada is like a burrito deep fried with hot sauce on it. So I'm, I, I'm in love with empanadas. So I'm trying to preach this church. Hadn't had a white preacher there in 20 to 30 years with all these unruly teenagers. I'm trying to preach the word. And outside the church, they have built a fire, have a pot on it, and they are cooking empanadas. I'm trying to preach God's word looking like this. I'm just, I'm just like... Cut the sermon short. Cut it short. There's empanadas. I'm trying to get done. And I preach, and I, I do the altar call. We get done. And afterwards, the, the pastor says, I want to talk for a minute. I'm like, there's empanadas out there, sir. Like, cut, cut the spiritual stuff out. Let's get to the fleshly stuff. Let's get to the empanada. And he says, I, I need to share something. And through a translator, starts saying, we have not had a team here in 20 to 30 years. He said, and our church has been struggling he starts going through all these details of battles this pastor had just been facing, the church had been facing. He said, I was thinking about quitting the ministry and quitting the church just because it got to be too much. He said, but by you coming here, it's encouraged my spirit and my soul. There's an energy in our church and our people are excited about evangelism and worship and the word again. And he said, sir, I can't repay you. He's talking to me. He said, I can't repay you for what you've done. He said, if I could, I would. If I had money, I'd give it to you. If I had this, I'd give it to you. He said, I can't repay you, but I'm going to pray that God repays you more than I can pay you. And I'm sitting there thinking, all I was looking for was empanadas. If you just give me a few empanadas. <laughs> and I'm here to tell you, when you serve people that can't help you back, God says, I will repay you everything and more you just gave out. And that starts with, the, with joy. Here's some expl uh, explanations of joy. Here's how God helps you physically and biologically and mentally and psychologically through serving. When you serve others, this is secular research. When you serve others or help others, it will help you get your attention off of your own problems. You lose joy when you're so focused on your own problems that you don't realize you don't have it as bad as you think you have it. It also, in helping to heal others' wounds, you heal yours much quicker. Why? The longer you look at a sore or a wound, the longer it takes to heal. But when you get preoccupied with helping other people heal, 
you'll begin to heal quickly. Helping others once again reveals your true self-worth and value. Meaning, we start throwing our own pity party. Oh, is me. Oh, is my. When you start serving somebody else, you'll realize there's a value attached to who you are. You have something to offer other people. You have a gift. You have love. You have hope. You have joy that you can give to somebody else and you'll discover your self-worth. The appreciation you feel from those you help will bring joy and fulfillment to your heart. When they start saying, thank you, thank you, I I can't repay you back. It's such a blessing to me. It brings joy into your heart. And you'll find out you're not the only one with problems. When you start serving somebody else, you'll realize that just because your iPhone 8 Plus doesn't work the way it used to, you don't have it that bad because other people don't have a phone at all. I wish I didn't have a phone. I wish Santa Claus would come and steal my phone out of my house. (laughs) Give it to somebody else. And the feeling you get from seeing others served or helping others produces an increase in this emotional high they call oxytocin. Oxytocin is a chemical in your brain that produces the happiness trifecta, which is this blend of three chemicals in your brain that gives you this experience of joy and this high that you can experience by helping other people. So if you need to increase your joy, find somebody and serve somebody. What does that look like? Find anybody, find anybody, anybody and serve them. Find anybody and help them. Find them. You say, what does that look like? That may be helping them financially. If you don't have finance, it may be giving them an encouraging word. It may be stopping and praying for somebody. It may be just loving on somebody. It may be baking them baked goods to the glory of God. It may be making them empanadas to the glory of God. But help somebody, anybody during this Christmas season. Just because things aren't going the way you wish they would go doesn't mean you can't help somebody else experience what you wish you had. Find anybody, somebody, and help them. One of my quotes, my favorite quotes in life, Steve Wu from Chicago said, just love with simplicity and without a net. And what that means is love with simplicity is it's the little things that make a difference. Like you don't have to go above and beyond. It's little things like like just stopping and giving somebody your attention Some people never have anybody pray for them. Just to stop and pray with somebody, just pray over them, God's blessing and God's love is a big deal. For some people, just saying hi when they feel like they're overlooked all the time. Just love with simplicity and without a net means don't expect anything in return. If you fall, God will catch you. You don't have to worry about the outcome. Just simply love somebody, anybody, and experience the joy of God. And number two, we experience peace by becoming peacemakers. We experience peace, or we overflow in peace by becoming peacemakers. Peace in this this scripture actually means freedom from worry, meaning you don't have anything to worry about. You're not worried about this situation or that situation. You're free from worry because you have experienced peace from God. And you experience peace by being a peacemaker. This is what Jesus said, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Jesus said there's a blessing attached to being a peacemaker. And that blessing is you grow in your relationship and your intimacy with God. You move from slave to child. You move from servant 
to daughter. You move, you grow in your intimacy with God by this blessing of being a peacemaker. We have enough dividers. We have enough people that sow division and discord. We have enough people that block us off in political voting blocks. We need people that are peacemakers. What does that mean? Being a peacemaker means you make room for the Holy Spirit to work in your mind, your heart, your spirit, and your relationships. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of peace. He will work out the details. You just have to make room for him to work. If you want the blessing of peace, find people to make peace with. And it shouldn't be that difficult. There's enough people in your life, I'm sure, that there's tension, there's division, there's stress, there's anxiety, there's worry, there's concerns, there's fights, there's conflict with, that you can find a way to make peace with. See, peace to me is this bridge. If Toy and I had had an issue, there's division, and there's something in between us, it's gonna take a bridge to get us back together. There's this gap between us. There's this gap in conversation, this gap in communication, a gap in love, a gap in intimacy. We have to find a way to bridge that gap. And so peace is the bridge that gets me back to her and her back to me. And that bridge is built with two walls on each side, truth and grace. Now I'm gonna dig into this just a little bit, but if that bridge is gonna be truth and grace, most of us lean towards either truth or grace. And when you build a bridge of peace with just truth, you will fall off that bridge back into the same predicament you were in before because you'll get off. What that means is you're so worried. Well, they did this and they did that and they did this and they did that. Well, they didn't say this and they didn't say that. They didn't like my Facebook post. They didn't do this. They didn't come. Then you start getting all the details right, but there's no grace. You're going to fall back off that bridge back into the division you were in before. Some of you are so far into grace, you have no truth. So for you, it's, well, you know, they didn't really mean it. You know, they're a good person. You know, they're a loving person. They're this, they're that. And so you try to cross back over that bridge, but never dealt with the issue. You're going to fall back off that bridge into the same predicament you were in before. It takes both walls or guardrails of the bridge to actually bring peace. And as people, we are called to be peacemakers, which means we have to walk in truth and grace to see restoration of families, restoration of relationships, restoration with God. And there's three relationships that at Christmas especially you need to focus on making peace with. And number one is you have to, you have to, this is priority one, you have to make peace with God. That's the whole point of Christmas, was God was sending his son Jesus to build a bridge from heaven to earth to make peace with all of us. We had turned against him, we betrayed him, we rebelled against him, we did whatever we wanted to do, and he built a bridge, and that bridge was truth and grace. Here's the truth, you betrayed me. Here's the truth, you sinned. Here's the truth, you've broken everything between us. Here's the truth, you've broken the covenant. Here's the truth, you do your own thing. Here's the truth, you're your own God. Here's the truth, but there's grace. Even though you did all those things, here's the grace, I love you enough to pay the price and the penalty for all that you just did. And Jesus walked across this bridge of truth and grace from heaven to earth to take us back to heaven. And what happens is most of us lean towards one side of the guardrail or the other. And if you lean towards grace, you keep living without truth and you keep falling off the bridge again and again and you may not have peace with God. 
Some of you are so far on truth, you keep falling off because you can't handle your own truth and keep up to your own standard. You fall off on the other side of the guardrail and you're not at peace with God. You're frustrated with God. You cannot be at peace with people until you're at peace with God. And there's no better time to get it right than Christmas, which is a reminder that God sent his son to bring peace to our souls by the blood of the perfect lamb. That is the story of Christmas. Then once you get that right, so that may be a great time to say, you know what, all year long, the other 11 months, I've been living my life however I want to live it. Now's the opportunity to rededicate your life and restore the peace between you and God so you can go through this season knowing I'm good. I'm good. God loves me. God has saved me. God has set me apart. God has chosen me. Everything is good. Then, then you can start making peace with yourself. See, a lot of people will be at peace between themselves and God. But man, I've learned that most people's problems in church isn't between God forgiving them, it's between them forgiving themselves. And I think the problem is we realize that I could do better than I'm doing, so we live in frustration and guilt of how we're living. I would argue that you can't do better until you forgive yourself. And what that means is if God has forgiven you, why would you keep holding on to something God's already covered up? Why would you keep holding on to your past? Yes, you may have failed in your marriage before. Quit trying to live back there and move forward and move on. Yes, your kids may be going to different houses this Christmas because you couldn't work out your marriage. Quit living in the past and start making today better. Make peace with yourself. Then you can make peace with other people. That means there's people in your life that are hurt you, that have betrayed you, that have hurt your feelings, that have said bad things about you, that have overlooked you, that you have the opportunity, if you want to experience peace, to extend peace towards them. We watched the movie. So our, our household is in this turmoil because our girls are getting older. We don't allow our kids to date. One of the kids, I won't mention who, brought a boy over to watch a movie. So everybody in the family is, is trying to intimidate this boy as much as possible. And RJ is primo at this. He's trained his whole life to embarrass other people. And we're watching the movie Home Alone. And Home Alone is on it. And, and there's the old man Marley, who they called the, the South Bend Shovel Slayer. Remember that guy? He's out there shoveling his driveway during Home Alone. And the boys tell Macaulay Culkin, he said, hey, that's the South Bend Shovel Slayer. He kills people, then he stores them in the salt buckets. So he's scared to death of this guy. Later on in the movie, Macaulay Culkin goes into the church. Old man Marley sitting in the back of the church. His granddaughter is singing during the choir special. He starts telling Macaulay Culkin, he said, that's my granddaughter. He said, why don't you go talk to her? He said, well, me and my son have had a falling out years ago, and, and you know, I don't really get to talk to her. And he says, why don't you go talk to your son? Why don't you call him and, and talk to him? He said, I'm afraid he won't talk to me. He said, well, is that the worst that could happen? He said, even if you don't do it for your son, why don't you do it for your granddaughter? And so old man Marley's getting advice from an a, a eight-year-old punk kid and he's teaching him, he's like, you don't have peace in your life. And it's because you're letting this false gap stay between you and your son. And now it's going between you and your granddaughter. See, any peace you don't make reproduces itself. 
see, you may have an issue with your, your son or your daughter. If you don't deal with that, it's going to affect your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. And he says, why don't you call him? And at the end of the movie, he finally calls him. You see this scene, they're making, they're hugging, they're loving on each other. Some of you, if you want to experience peace, there's a phone call you need to make. For some of you, there's a text message you need to send. For some of you, there's a conversation that may be difficult. But the thing I see about peacemaker, it doesn't say peace receiver. It means you have to make it. And when you make something, it's much more difficult than going and buying it. We're in a day and age, we want to buy everything. You can't go on Amazon, on Prime, on Black Friday or Cyber Monday and buy peace. You have to make it. That means you have to work towards it. That means you have to work at it. That means you might need, if you're the peacemaker and you want that blessing of God on you, you may have to step and start building the bridge yourself. And maybe if you start building it, maybe the other person at some point will be like, whoa, whoa what are you doing? What are you, what are you doing? Well, I'm trying to close the gap between you and me. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a Christmas card. Maybe it's a gift. Maybe it's an apology. But some of you, if you want to experience peace and make this the most wonderful time of the year, there's somebody that you need to make peace with. And number three, we experience hope when we recount the blessings of God and remember the blessings of God. The God of hope is already inside of you. He is the origin and he's the object of our hope. Like my hope is not based in my circumstances. My hope is not built on my, my life or my finances or my job or my career or my family. My, my hope, anywhere I place my hope other than in Jesus, it will fall and stumble. If I place my hope in my spouse at some point, I told her the other day, she may not pass away, but I'm gonna pass away. I'm getting old, bald, fat, and ugly. By the time I'm 53, I'm probably gone. So we're getting more life insurance, more all that good stuff. But at some point, if she places her hope in me, she's going to be very disappointed and she'll be hopeless. Jesus has to be the object of your hope and the origin of our hope. And the way to stir your hope is to remember that remembrance fuels hope. Remembrance fuels hope. Remembrance fuels hope. Over and over and over and over and over in the Bible, from the beginning to the end, you'll hear things like, remind them, remember, remind them of what I've done, remind them of how good I've been, remind them how faithful I've been. See, God is a promise giver. He gives promises, but he also keeps his promises. And you start looking back and recounting all he's done for you, it'll fuel your hope in your current situation. Some of you are hopeless because even though it's Thanksgiving, you have not taken time to recount the blessings God has given you. And I would tell you this, that to the level you recount the blessings of God and are grateful for them will be the level of the hope in your spirit. If you need your spirit to rise up, start counting your blessings. If you can't find any blessings, start looking a little bit harder. And as you recount your blessings, it will fuel your hope through your current situation. Because you can look back and say, if God has been that good to me then, he's going to be good to me today. He's going to be good to me tomorrow. See, when I look back at the faithfulness of God, it reminds me of how faithful he is right now. So remembrance is one part of it, but remembering the promises of God changes your perspective, which changes your hope. See, hope is a perspective of how I see life. 
Hope is a perspective of how I see things. Hope is a perspective of how I see relationships. And Christmas is the season of hope because God was saying, you have no hope, so I'm sending hope designed and hidden and camouflaged as a baby in swaddling clothes. There is no reason whatsoever for a follower of Jesus to never have hope. It takes a a change of recounting, but also remembering all that God has done for me. Remember 20 years ago, 1999, I was in basic training at Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas, through Thanksgiving, through Christmas, and through New Year's Eve. Granted, that was 1999. Everybody thought we were going to die on New Year's Eve 1999 due to Y2K. So everybody's like saying goodbye. <laughs> they're like, they're, they're dying. I'm sitting there this is dumb. But I remember I was in field training all the week of Christmas. And on Christmas Eve, we're marching back. I have everything I own in this stupid green duffel bag that didn't sit right on my back. Marching back to our barracks, having Christmas with 75 other dudes, which is not how you want to spend your first Christmas as an adult. Looking around this room, realizing I'm sacrificing something now. I'm sacrificing time now because I have a hope for a better future for me and myself and my family. Through that circumstance, through that situation, I learned that no matter what season you find yourself in, There's always hope for a better future. There's always hope for a better tomorrow. For God's mercies are new every single morning. And hope is when I have this expectation that God is always on my side. Hope is this expectation that I know God has promised me things. And as long as I keep my eyes on Jesus, I know he'll fulfill his promises. Even if it's not to me, maybe it's to my kids, maybe it's to my grandkids, maybe it's to my great-grandkids. See, hope is instilled and ingrained in Christmas from one point to the other because it's telling us that God is not going to stay far away for long. Like that was the sign that God is drawing near. Emmanuel, God with us. God is coming close. And here's what I want you to know. If God came once, God will come again. In the first century, there was hopelessness. There was brokenness. There was stress. There was worry. There had not been a prophet for 400 years. The Jewish people may have just decided maybe God finally gave up on us. And then all of a sudden, God shows up in a package they did not expect. I'm here to tell you, God is coming back again. And he comes back when people are hopeless, people are broken, people are worried, people are stressed. And when people believe God has given up, that's when God is just getting started. Here's what it says in Revelation 21. And I want this to stir your hope. Because as you recount the blessings... I want you to remember this promise that no matter where you find yourself at, this is what it says in Revelation 21, verse 3. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, meaning with you. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every single tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Jesus came once, and the promise is Jesus is coming again. And my hope is not built in the Christmas season. That celebrates the past. That recounts the blessings of the past. My hope is that no matter how bad it gets, I know Jesus is coming back, and he's going to wipe away every single one of my tears. That death will not have anything over any of us anymore. There will be no more empty tables at Christmas. There will be no more pain of a funeral. There'll be no more pain of a widow. There'll be no pain, more pain of a lost son or a lost daughter. He will wipe away every tear and every single thing that sin has destroyed, God will rebuild and make new again. Christmas is a reminder that the God of hope left heaven and came to earth to let us overflow and abound with hope peace, and joy from the inside out. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. And if I can have the altar team come forward, so any of our elders or lay pastors, the song says it's the most wonderful time of the year. And it, it, it is. It's a time of family. It's a time of fun. It's a time of food. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of joy. But for many people, 38% that means one in four people in this room, one in three people in this room. It's not the most wonderful time of the year. It's a time of pain, of grief, of sorrow, of brokenness, of hopelessness. But God is a God of hope who wants you to overflow with peace and joy and hope. So this is my prayer that you'll be reminded this Christmas season that God is not far away, but God is very close and near. And he's close and near, not just to fulfill a promise or a prophecy, but because he realizes his people need hope in their lives. And he wants you to experience hope and peace and joy, not just during Christmas, but in every single day through a relationship with him and through his spirit. But he also wants you to be a carrier of that hope and that peace and that joy to the people around you who are broken, the people who are hurting, the people who are stressed, the people who lack peace, the people who lack joy, the people who lack family, the people who lack love. You carry the God of hope within you. And we're going to go back into worship. And this is what I'm asking. If any of you need prayer, to set this Christmas season in a different direction than seasons past. To set this with an awareness of the spiritual component deep inside of you. To set your mind towards hope. To set your mind towards joy. To set your mind towards peace. To pray into some situations of conflict. To pray into some divisions in your family. Maybe to make your, yourself right with God. Or maybe to say, God, use me to be a carrier of your hope, peace, and joy this year. We want to pray for you. We want to love on you. We want to encourage you. If you've lost loved ones this year, we want to wrap our arms around you and pray for you. 
that the sorrow may last for a night, joy comes in the morning to arm you in prayer, to wrap you in love, and to speak encouragement and comfort into your life. Father, we love you. And we thank you that you are the God of hope. And Father, we thank you that you chose to dwell not in temples, not in sanctuaries, not in buildings made by man, but by temples of flesh that you created with your own very hands. Father, we know there's an intimacy between us and you. And right now, we just pray that intimacy can rise during this season of realizing that you live within us. Father, I pray hope and joy and peace overflow out of us into every single relationship around us. Father, let us be carriers of hope to the hopeless. Let us be carriers of joy to those who are fighting stress and depression. Let us be carriers of peace to those who have broken it, who have divided it, who who have been in conflict. Father, let us be representatives of you here on earth. Father, those who are hurting in this place today, Father, I pray we can wrap our arms around them and encourage them and strengthen them through the Spirit, by the Spirit, and for the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would stand to your feet as we worship together. The altars are open. We'd love to pray for you this morning. In Jesus' name.